it was a great way of making money, but it, I think one of the things that it taught me very early on was that you have to provide an experience. Okay, so it's not just the product itself; it's the experience of the product. And I think a lot of people overlook that customer experience, particularly in technology. I think a lot of people see it as provided it does what it's supposed to do. The experience of how it doesn't really matter. And actually, I'd argue it's the opposite. If the experience feels really good, they will do that more.、Uh, if somebody's got a product that's very similar to yours, yours actually does a much better job, but it feels clunkier and it isn't as user friendly. They're going to go with the other product, despite the fact that yours is technically providing a better service. It, it's the overall experience, and that's something that I've really taken with me in terms of. Everything I've ever done. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of Want Money Got Money podcast. I'm your host Sam Kamani, and my today's guest is Phil Pelucha. Phil is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, founder, podcaster, TV, radio host, and a broadcaster. He is one of the top hundred podcasters acclaimed globally. His mission is very simple. He wants to be the Napoleon Hill of podcasting. So, without any further ado, let's get into it. So, first of all, welcome to the show. And it's great to have you here. I was just checking out your LinkedIn, and <clears throat> there is so much to unpack. So I've been podcasting now for ten years. I grew and sold two sports podcast networks before I started doing podcasting for business. And it was around the time that fan podcasting had just started. Everyone else was paying money to podcast. It was like an, it was a, a semi-expensive hobby. Whereas I never understood that, so I'd come from the world of business, and I was like, I don't understand how a podcast that's got between so five and ten thousand listeners within sport that we know are predominantly male demographic, eighteen to thirty-five with disposable income, and we know what they like. How is there not an audience to sell that to? So we were, and the first way we monetized it was was purely through sponsors. It was going and finding sponsors that would want to talk to that audience that were interested in sport.、Yes. It was a relatively easy thing to do. And people always say the same thing to me, which is, "How can you sell a podcast? Because surely a podcast is you." And the reality was, I'd phased myself out of the podcast. I had for hosts that had their own shows. We had three to four shows going out every single week. They were nothing to do with me anymore. Occasionally, when I felt like going on them, I'd go on as a guest, but、yes. it was nothing to do with me. I just like to be the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes.、Uh, and then when I set up my business, so I've been in the corporate world for a long time, and I'd risen to board level within my early twenties, which was quite unusual. I'd ended up becoming、yes. a surveyor by trade, but I'd ended up becoming head of talent and training for the second largest real estate company in Africa, which was crazy. Wow! And I left, and I had this assumption that the phone would just ring, that clients would just want to work with me because of who I was, and it just didn't happen. It was rather naive, and I had no idea how to generate business. I had no idea because, as far, you know, as far as I was concerned, I'd always worked with teams that I had a sales team over there, a marketing team over there. I told them what to do. Leads would magically appear, and I just service the clients, and、yes. that wasn't the case. So. I found myself in a sort of weird scenario. Of, I don't know how to call. I don't know enough about email marketing or, or social media marketing to be able to generate leads that way. So how am I going to win business? And、yeah. the best way that I could think of was because I'd been making money from podcasting was to combine the two. So I thought to myself, podcasting is a great way of building relationships with people. 
what if I made a list of the top 100 clients that I'd love to work with and invited each of their CEOs onto a podcast and just built relationships with them, not sell them anything, but let's just see who I resonate with. And business grew exponentially. I then became very similar to you, joined several boards, including a few marketing agencies and branding agencies who wanted to get their message out there. I took a small marketing firm who were primarily catalog marketing, believe it or not, fashion catalog marketing based in Burnley in the northeast of Eng- in the northwest of England. So yeah. Burnley is not the nicest place. And I took them to becoming the international partner for Microsoft Asia for their HoloLens project, which was their virtual yeah. reality headset. Um, yes. And I did that entirely through podcasting. I got flown over by the British government to go and speak as a keynote speaker in Shanghai at the Mobile World Congress in front of these yes. like three, 4,000 CEOs. And it, this was all done through podcasting. My presentation was based around everything that I'd learned in podcasting. It really changed my life. So about six, six years ago, um, I still do it to this day, but about six years ago, people started to come to me and say, listen, uh, can you teach us that bit? Can you teach us the podcast bit, like how you built these relationships and how you did that? Yeah. And I was like, let's see, why not? So we set up a mentorship program and I started to teach people 50 different sectors, 50 different locations now, which I'm extremely proud of. One refund in six years, which again, mm-hmm. I'm also very proud of. But about two years ago, people started to come to us and say, oh, it's easy for you because you've got a team. You've got this whole team there behind you. You've got a media team doing this stuff. And it was like, if you had my media team, would it be just as easy for you? And the answer was, well, yes. And it was like, okay, I'll do a done for you service then. You pay me yeah. a monthly retainer and we'll, my team will do it for you. That in turn led to a radio show, which then led to a TV show, which then led to more live events. Yeah, it's been an interesting ride. What is the main thing you're doing these days? Would you say, is it the podcasting business or the TV or the media or, or oh, is it everything? <laughs> so there's probably two sides to what we do. I, I consider the TV stuff and the podcasting is all in one. I, I call that our media side. Um, and that's our media business. And then I also still have my search firm, my global recruitment firm. I've tried to leave recruitment several times, if I'm completely honest. I've tried to walk away from this sector a number of times. But without trying to sound arrogant, I'm really good at it <laughs> and I enjoy it. Like I, In fact, I do enjoy it. I like helping really awesome people find equally awesome opportunities. So I'm a bit of a sucker for wanting to help people when I'm honest. So there's been a number of times when I've walked away and I've gone, that's it. I'm done. No more. And then someone rings me and it's, hey, could you help me with this? And it's, okay, just as a one-off. <laughs> and then that one-off <laughs> becomes another thing and another thing. But yeah, so I'd say there's two. So obviously I have my search firm, but then in terms of the media side of things, it's a real split between the content creation. We call it infotainment. It's meant to be entertaining, but it's also meant to be informative. I get to work with some of the world's greatest mentors and entrepreneurs and business leaders and just get to meet some awesome people. But at the same time, I'm also working with some really awesome startups and emerging businesses. And we call it an authority broadcasting network which is just a posh way of saying that we help people have a voice. If you've got a voice and you have something that people should hear, we help you to find that spotlight, that stage and kind of put that attention on you. And and podcasting is a phenomenal way to do that as you're finding yourself already. 
Oh, absolutely. What I really enjoy is, as you said, how you got started, it's building that relationship mm. and it's the human connection that works. Your network is your net worth. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And for me, I started it and I was like, okay, even if no one hears, I'm getting mm-hmm. so much joy out of this. And Oh, I love that you said that. That's so one of the questions much, yeah. I get asked all the time is like, how many people were listening to your show? And it's actually, do you know what? When it first started, I genuinely didn't care because, you know, as I said to you, I was initially outside of sport. I was initially within business speaking to people that I wanted Mm -hmm. to work with. And the reason I wasn't selling them anything on that podcast was because if you take this back a step, we've all worked with clients that we really wish we hadn't. (laughs) We've all worked with people that we think, oh, that was such a headache. And if we're critical with ourselves and we dissect that, it, it, it quite often comes down to you didn't spend enough time building a relationship with this person to realize whether you should or shouldn't be investing this amount of time and effort with them. And podcasting was just a phenomenal way of doing that. Cause if you have a 30 minute pre-call with somebody and then you record a, I don't know, 45 to 60 minute podcast with somebody, you've now spent an hour and a half one-on-one having a conversation with somebody you're going to know at this point whether there's somebody that you want to work with or whether there's someone that you want to say, best of luck on your journey, but we are not on the same path. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's also, I feel like that, I know, uh, sorry, you're going a bit off topic, but I would like to, <laughs> I'd like to address this, that if you contact someone randomly, send them a cold message and say, like someone who is quite high up and who's really busy that, Hey, I want to spend one and a half hour with you. And I want you to teach me everything that it's not going to happen. You don't even know the person, but you can do that through a podcast. So I, Mm -hmm. that was my um, sub motivation as what people say is that you should write a book not because you want to make so many from sales and it is not, it's very hard. Just like, podcast there's like millions and millions of books written every single year it's not for that to organize your thoughts to give structure to your own thoughts journaling or diary or something like that so do it for yourself not for the number of views and counts i was talking with one of the podcaster in in australia the other day and he was saying that he in fact likes it that there isn't that much data on podcasting analytics like google analytics has insane amount Mm -hmm. of data who comes to your site and what time and what ip and every single thing but podcasting has compared to that a lot less data you don't even know exactly what point they stop the audience stop listening and then they started again or what time they were not paying attention in on a website you can even see a heat map of where their mouse yeah. has moved and all that but there is yeah. no such thing at podcast <laughs> so in not fact, yet anyway <laughs> he really likes it that way because that means that he can just focus on the conversation and not so much worry about the number of views or number of likes or anything like that so y- yeah you, you said it 100 percent you have done a, a lot of interesting things. And one of the thing is that a lot of my listeners are all founders in tech startups. And say someone has an idea for a mobile app or a B2B SaaS product or mm-hmm. some, some form of a, a new startup. Um, mm-hmm. What should their founder do to promote their startup? Good question. Do you know what? I think the honest answer is it's probably taking it a step further back before promoting it you can use podcasting for both one of the major issues that i've had with a lot of the emerging tech markets that i've worked with over the past 10 years is that quite often people design something 
and then try and sell it into a market. But it's they haven't really asked the market whether that's what they want. For example, within fintech or within prop tech or even yes. cybersecurity, yep. you have people designing products that actually the market really don't want. They're solving a problem that doesn't really exist developers and very clever engineer type people are are creating products but then they haven't bothered to speak to the market about whether this is something the market actually wants or not which is why so many of these startups have such a difficult time you can have an incredibly viable product but if it's not solving a problem that people really want to solve you're going to have an uphill battle selling it into anybody so one of the things that I love about podcasting is it's instant feedback. You get to do really far-reaching market research. Now, market research can take many forms, but with podcasting, and this is one of the things I love about it, is if you deliberately go out of your way to, let's say, you're going to interview 25, 30 people across this sector to find out what their problems are and then say to them, okay, this is our idea. How does this solve your problem? How would you utilize this? What, what else do you think that it needs? Do you think it needs this bit? Do you, would you prefer to see more of this functionality? And then not only are you getting that instant feedback from leaders and, and experts within that field, but what do they do as soon as you release that podcast? They share it with their network and they're going to be connected with people like them. So if you have something that is touching that core, it's touching a nerve and people are resonating with this, you've already gone some way to doing and advertising what it is that you do and selling your product through your market research phase. What a unique opportunity that is. You haven't even built the thing yet. You're still in market research, but you already have a list of people saying, I'd be interested in that. Let me know when it's ready. And it's turning fans you know, into customers and customers into fans. And, and podcasting is a phenomenal way to do that. But I always firmly believe that it's a fantastic way to sell what you do as well. Because people, what is it they say? That everybody loves to buy and nobody loves to be sold to. Yes. Um, and the, the joy of podcasting is it's essentially storytelling and mentorship, which were two of the oldest forms of education. You know, before we had the current indoctrination system that we have today, remember this fact yeah. and spew it out on an exam. We, we had mentors and we had storytelling and they were two ways that people grew for centuries. Yeah, and very true. Yep. That is an ideal way of doing that and, and getting your message out there. So if you have something that the world needs to know about, go and have conversations with like-minded people who already have an audience, just as you did, funnily enough. Start appearing on other people's podcasts and having those conversations, and it's quite likely going to lead you to your own podcast anyway, because I consider them two sides of the same coin. But that's one of the issues that a lot of people have with growing their podcast. They'll start a podcast, but they don't ever bother going and guesting on other people's shows. So they're playing the host and they're learning all of this stuff, but they never get to go and share their expertise and their opinions on other people's shows. And as I'm sure you've already found, I've been doing this for 10 years now, so I can speak from significant experience, but the podcasting community is a phenomenal community. Like the, it's all so supportive. They're all very helpful. Yeah, hundred percent. And that, and do you know what? There's a lot more collaboration than there is competitors, and that's what I love about that. It's a we're in the same field. We should be creating more mutual joint pieces of content together because it's not like uh, somebody's. It's not like a football team where someone's going to support one team and they're not going to be yes. interested in anything else. It's not a some game. Mm-mm. So people will listen to three, four, five different types of podcasts or three or four podcasts yeah. in the same genre. So if they see these people interacting and linking together, that just furthers the relationship and strengthens the relationship in their own mind as well. So 
it's a phenomenal market. 100% pretty much every podcast that I go to, then I invite them and or guests who come to my podcast, they invite me and it's mm-hmm. great. Everyone helps each other out. And even mm-hmm. when I was starting my podcast, people were so helpful that all the other podcasters were, hey, you do like this, that these are the key platforms. You, yep. you get a mic like this sort of a mic, you get this sort of headphone, like everything they laid it out for me and it made it so easy for me to start. I had run out of excuses to not yep. start a podcast. <laughs> I <laughs> so love pretty that. Much, yeah, they became my friends and they helped me out. And and these are complete strangers that I just mm-hmm. met on internet through LinkedIn and through going through their to their podcast and just building a, a completely new human connection. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the easiest way to build a network. 100 percent. yeah having said that i would love to know a bit more on the other media side of things as well as what you do on the other side whether it's um tv or live streaming so originally it started off um with live events so i've been doing some kind of live events and and speaking engagement exhibitions as part of my corporate job so i didn't used to that anyway but one of the cool things i found about podcasting was that if i invited the event organizers of these large exhibitions onto my podcast. Cause think about it. What's their objective. Their objective is to sell tickets for their event. I have an audience that they want to sell to. So it makes sense for us to combine, but it's amazing how many times when you resonate with somebody like that, they'll say, Oh, listen, would you want to be one of our keynote speakers? Would you like to come and do a workshop? Would you like to come and, and you know, speak at this event? And before you know it, you're now being positioned in front of your target audience and your ideal customers, and they're sat in the audience and you're on stage. So that does a lot for your credibility. Radio was the next step, which made a lot of sense. Radio and podcasting is is similar anyway, so there was a lot there, but it was I've always been about infotainment. And I think one of the reasons that, that I've had some success in this um, sector is that I like to ask the questions that a lot of people won't ask. So you know, the whole polished kind of radio, TV, like uh, overly edited stuff. So talk about an author, for example. You're speaking to an author about their new book. And it's, so tell me about your new book. Tell me about this. Where can we buy it? Tell me about your success. Tell me about your business. And it's all fluff. Yes. And I'm thinking, like, you hear these top mentors and things, and they're like, sleeping in my car, and now I'm a multimillionaire. And it's, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't just skip over the bit like where you were sleeping in your car. Let's talk about that bit. Like, how did you get from that rock bottom place to where you are now? Because anybody listening to this is going to resonate more with your journey than they are with the success that that you're currently experiencing. There's only a small percentage of the world that can relate to what it's like to be a millionaire, but everybody can relate to what it's like to go through a time of struggle and have to pick yourself up off the canvas, especially as an entrepreneur. I always say that successful entrepreneurs have just failed more times than you. That's all an expert is. It's someone that's found more ways to do it incorrectly than you have. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> They've just taken more shots. A hundred percent. And that's it's exactly like that. what it is. Yeah. Michael Jordan saying that you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. It's, it's so true. And, and I've made some absolute catastrophe, you know, what is going to end kind of mistakes and bad decisions uh, along the way. And sometimes things work and sometimes things don't, but you've just got to keep pushing forward and you've just got to keep doing it. And it's funny, you you said a phrase earlier and it's something I say to my clients quite a lot, which is when I first started podcasting 10 years ago, 
when you invited somebody onto a podcast, you, you may as well have been inviting them onto a police interrogation because they didn't know what a podcast was at this point. So it's who are you? How did you find me? What do you want to ask <laughs> me? Why do you want to know this stuff? And it's, I just want to have a conversation with you. Whereas now, I mean, there's websites that you can find guests on. There's, there's platforms that can then yeah. share this across multiple channels for you. As you said, there's groups on Facebook where people will just openly say to you, here's the setup that you need. If you want to spend yes. 250 bucks, this is what you do. You want to spend a thousand bucks, this is what you do. You want to just use your headphones that you get with your, your iPhone? Fine, use that Fine, for a bit. Fine, yeah. But there is no excuse not to start something these days. And podcasting was the, the medium that I found that worked really well for us. And I was able to be seen as an influencer and an authority in, in several sectors at the same time using podcasting. That's why it's my passion. But I always say the same thing, which is I am sure, I am 100% sure that there are other ways of becoming an influencer or, and an authority in a sector. I'm just teaching people the one that I know. Oh, yes. Yes, there's, of course, there's just, there's lots of roads um, that lead to Rome. It's just which road you want to take. (laughs) Absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah. And when earlier we were talking through one of these sort of platforms, which connects podcasters and and Mm -hmm. guests and hosts and things like that, there you mentioned that you have worked a lot with VCs or venture capitalists or firms globally, and you've helped startups raise funding. Would love to know a bit about that or what, what you did there. Sure. So what was interesting was we've worked on both sides of the table with this. So we've worked with startups trying to attract VCs and attract that funding in the first place. And we've actually, we actually now do a lot of work with VCs globally who some of them want to do it so that they can identify opportunities before other people. Others wish to carve out a bit of a niche for themselves and they want to be seen as the go-to people for these particular types of businesses. Other people just quite like the idea of almost having a, an apprentice style dragon's den style podcast where they can inform people on how to prepare for funding and what it is that VCs particularly look for. Cause you and I were talking earlier, that's a mystery to a lot of people. It is, is like, how do you do that? So there's been a lot of great shows that come from that. And it's an incredible way of sharing what you do and with it being such a professional service in terms of VCs, it's one of those industries that it's almost impossible to do like a 30 second Instagram post to explain what it is that you do. So long form marketing like podcast where you can sit and have hours worth of conversations with somebody about your particular specialism or your knowledge is a phenomenal way for these people to get their message across. So that works really well. There's a, there's a whole wide range of doing that in terms of speaking with different incubators about who's going where speaking with different startup mentors and networking groups in fact, we now have a lot of people who leave the corporate world with a VC already in mind to go, we're going to go and build this and then you're going to come and plug in at this point, which is incredible to see them getting involved at such an early, it's a concept design, which is phenomenal to be having those kind of conversations at that stage. Flip that the other way. As you said, there's a lot of founders and tech startups that will be listening to this podcast. Just as you would with your market research, go and have conversations with VCs. What a phenomenal way to build relationships with people. How do you get your product in front of the right VC? What are you going to do? You're going to send them a a 10-minute video presentation followed by a 200-page document. And let me tell you something, right? As somebody who's worked in this tech sector for a long time, Tech people suck at sales, okay? They really suck at sales because 
they go too deep. They go too technical and they start to explain all the technical aspects of this. Listen, we're going to build it on this framework, but then we're going to move it onto this. And it's, nobody cares, like as, yes. at least of all the VC. You know, they need the high level overview at first. They want to go into all this detail later, yes. not right now. This is not what comes during the pitch stage. So just as you would with your market research in terms of trying to be as concise as possible, here's the problem we see and here's the solution we provide and here's an idea of how we do that. Have that conversation with VCs. Be inviting them onto your podcast and having conversations with them to say, here's what we're doing. What advice could you give to somebody like me? Can you share some success stories of businesses that you've worked with previously? They love to talk about themselves because everybody loves to talk about themselves. And they're paid to talk about their business. They're paid to talk about the clients that they work well with. Plus, what else are they going to do there? If they've resonated with you, they're going to introduce you to their businesses that they've already invested in that have been very successful. And you're now being introduced to somebody who's five, six, seven, ten steps further down that road than you are. And now you not only have a potential VC, but now you have a mentor. This is a phenomenal place for you to be. It is 100% really good advice for founders and also for VCs that you just delivered. Hopefully, some people who are listening will go and implement it. Moving back to one of the things you said about sales, and Mm -hmm. I ask this question to all my guests, it's what was the first thing you sold? Mm -hmm. That is because selling is super important. And for me, I feel like it is a life skill, like walking, cycling, swimming, one of those things, because all the time you are selling, whether, you know, selling concepts, ideas, whether it's to your spouse or to your kids or or Mm -hmm. whoever. So what was the first sort of significant thing you sold? So I started working from a very young age. So I I grew up in in quite a rural area. Um, So the very first ever thing that I sold was pallets of strawberries from a strawberry farm. I was maybe 11, 12. And I basically did this deal with the with the the owner and and what I decided to do was he he had people who were collecting strawberries in the fields and people would stop off at the roadside and they would just buy them and he he had, he was so trusting what he did was he'd just have pallets of strawberries yeah. and he'd have a box for the money and people would just put the money in the box yes. and they'd take their pallet of strawberries and they'd go home and I said I think you're missing a real trick here because people will pay the same price for the strawberries but they'll also pay for the experience of picking them. And he was like, I don't have time to be sitting there all day just in case somebody (laughs) turns up. So I said, I'll do it. I'll sit there all day. And if somebody turns up, I'll say to them, look, you can either have these ones here that were picked like six, seven hours ago and they've been sitting in the warm sun, or I can sell you an empty crate and you can go and pick your own and then we'll weigh them at the end and you pay for them. And I always used to make a joke to say, and you can test some of them along the way, just give them a bit of a taste. And I did so for a percentage of both of the sale from the picking of the strawberries and also the, the, the a percentage of the sale for selling the crates of strawberries as well. Yes. So I got to the point where we actually stopped doing the just collecting. It was now entirely self-service because it was making far more money doing it that way. People were loving the experience of just being able to go into this field. I, I remember really distinctly, uh, 11, 12 years old, the farmer comes over to the field to see how I'm doing. And there must have been 50 to 60 people walking around his field. And he's going, who are all these people, Phil? 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, they're just picking strawberries. And he's looking at the the cash register, the little bo- well money box tin thing that I had, and it's full of notes. And he's okay, you can come again. Yeah. And and I worked for him for a number of years. We did the potato picking, and we'd again, it was a case of wanting to generate more sales from that. And he had some people that would stop off at his local farm shop to pick this stuff up. But I knew that if I put someone to my bicycle and I cycled around to local restaurants and pubs that I could sell it to them directly and say, this is fresh out of the ground this morning, organic vegetables, yeah. here they are. And even if I may, in terms of my recruitment business, having worked internally for a long time in terms of in-house and, and, and corporate side, I'd been the guy who was receiving 10 to 15 calls a day from recruitment agencies. Hey, we're a specialist in this. We can solve your problem. And it's just like, everybody says the same nonsense. And this is ridiculous. And I just, I never understood how they differentiated themselves. And actually half the time, neither did they. And it's like, what makes you different from Joe Bloggs agency down the street? It's like, I have five years experience. So you're basically selling yourself as the unique selling point. So take you out of the business. Now what's your unique selling point? And they don't have a clue. They couldn't tell you. So my attitude was, okay, how can I give them an experience that's going to make them want to choose me over and over again? And I didn't just want to compete on price and kind of be like, okay, I'll be the cheapest because that's awful. Nobody wants to do that. I'm not a a discount store. That's not what I do. We provide a good service. I don't want to sell it at a a rock bottom price. So I started to look at the other issues that businesses were having. And one of the things that every business needs to do is advertise themselves, right? They need more exposure. They need more of their ideal customers to know and trust them. So by providing them with a podcast interview where they can come on and share their story and what they do and talk in a very natural way about what who their business helps and, and why it is they do that, share that with a relevant audience, I'm already adding more value. But at the same time, as you identified earlier, I'm building a f- fantastic relationship with that person. Yes. So it's sales is such an important part of what you do, but I, I, I always used to think I didn't like sales. In as much as, but what I didn't was I don't like pushy sales. I don't like selling people something that they don't want or or don't need. Exactly. No one likes that. No one enjoys that. And you don't want mm -mm. to do that either. No. I I only want to work with people that resonate with what I do and can appreciate the value of what I do. And I can genuinely add some value to their business. And one of the things that I've always been really steadfast in doing is say, if I can't help you, I will tell you. I genuinely mean that the amount now nowadays we probably say no more than we say yes I say to people I'm probably not the person to help you with that maybe try these guys over here and if you have a pro I use the analogy a lot of when you're sick you go to a general practitioner and if they can't help you they refer you on to a specialist we're now at the stage where we're that specialist but you wouldn't go to a specialist first you'd go to a general practitioner first to see if they can help you and if there's an easier solution so don't pay a specialist consultant's fee if you just need some paracetamol because you've got a headache. It's, it's, it's completely overkill. And I'm quite happy to say that because you build up a level of credibility and trust with your clients where they will come back to you when they do need a specialist and they will refer their friends when they need a specialist because they know that you're not just going to say, oh yeah, I can definitely help you with that. Just give me your money and I'll, I'll do that for you they know that they're going to get an honest answer as to whether or not you're somebody they can help. Yep. Excellent. Um, excellent advice. One of the thing I see 
your superpower or your strength is asking the right questions, whether it is your prospective clients or the people you are interviewing or the VCs mm-hmm. or founders or whoever you are dealing with, or even the HR companies who are calling you and you were asking them the right questions. How are you different than the others? Questions that they couldn't answer because mm-hmm. probably no one else asked them those questions before. How did you or where did you learn how to ask the right question? Oh, good question. I'm probably going to have to give my mother some credit here, actually. So my mother was many years in the armed services and she was a drill sergeant before I was born. (laughs) So imagine having a drill sergeant for a mother. I always, everything in life was from a very young age was a negotiation. Um, So I learned that I had to negotiate. If I didn't want to do something, I had to have a really good reason why I didn't want to do it. And I had to be able to propose an alternative. I couldn't just say no. (laughs) It was the case. (laughs) It's like, listen, I'm going to go out and play football with my friends. It's no, you're not. You're going to tidy your room. It's okay. Football starts in 30 minutes. It's going to take me 10 minutes to get there. Tidying my room is going to take me an hour. So I'm going to have to negotiate. I'm going to have to say, I'll tell you what, if I pick up everything off the floor and put my stuff in the washing and make my bed and then go to football, can I come back and finish the other bit later? And there was, so there was always an element of negotiation, but to be able to negotiate, you have to understand the mentality and stance of the other person. You have to understand why it is they want you to do these things. Or maybe it was that she was about to put a wash on and she was furious that I hadn't put my stuff in the washing yet. So by suggesting that I do that first, I remove the immediate barrier that's a time restraint. That's the reason she wants it done right now. I've always had to try and dissect and I always like to dissect because I also found in business that quite often people will do something and they have no idea why they're doing it. It's like they, they know they want to get to somewhere. So I'll give you, I'll tell you a great story that I heard that kind of sums this up. It's quite a funny little story. There's a, li- a, a little girl walks into the kitchen and her mum is making a pot roast and she's got the pan and she's got the meat and she chops the end of the, the meat off and she throws it in the bin. And she says, why did you do that? And she says, oh, do you know what? I don't know. My, it's just the way my mother always did it. Yeah. So she goes back to her grandmother and she says, Grandma, why do you chop the end off the pot roast? And she said, I have no idea. It's the way that my mother always used to do it. So she goes to her great grandmother and she says, great grandmother, why do you always chop the end off the pot roast? And she said, because the pan was too small. Yeah. <laughs> and so now you have three generations of people making this, doing the same thing because the original pan was too small. And it's, you find businesses doing the same thing. It's once they find a solution they take this horrific attitude of don't fix what isn't broken. What if you found a really long winded way of getting to that destination? What if there's a much faster and simpler way of doing this that you just haven't found yet? You, you going all around the houses and taking a detour is helping nobody. So by asking those questions, it's like, why do you go that way? Well, why don't you just do this? Like a lot of the time I was surprised to find that actually people quite liked having an outsider's perspective they quite liked having some and a fresh pair of eyes in it how many times do you hear the expression can't see the wood for the trees you're too mm-hmm. close to something and having an outsider say to you oh why don't you just do this and this and you go it's like a light bulb moment you go ping this is brilliant that's exactly what i should do and things become more efficient so I like it when people ask me those kind of questions. So I like to do it to other people. I'm just naturally inquisitive, but I think that's probably where it started from. I think it probably started with 
being raised in quite a strict home i had to learn to to ask questions to understand her stance so that i could then negotiate it (laughs) oh fantastic (laughs) the yeah the benefits of (laughs) parenting done right which we don't which we don't like it when we are going through it (laughs) but it has lifelong benefits (laughs) Um, listen as a child it was a nightmare but i'm i'm grateful for it now because whilst I, I certainly don't, I'm a, a father myself now, and I certainly don't take every parenting lesson I learned from her at all. But I've obviously done something in a similar way because I have two young daughters and they both negotiate with me for everything. Like, <laughs> they, they, honestly, these girls are phenomenal negotiators already. Um, so your lessons never end. You get to keep never, learning on how to negotiate. <laughs> still learning. It's every day is a negotiation. And it's, how, it's, how it's, old are it's, they? So I have three and seven. So yeah. very young. But even my baby, like she, she will negotiate how and when she does something. It's, I'll give you an example. It's okay. Here's your food and you don't like peas. I know you don't like peas, but we've only given you some. I want you to eat them. It's okay. I'll eat my peas if I can watch my iPad whilst I'm eating. And it's like, <laughs> mm, I can't believe you're giving me this. Okay. I don't want you to watch your iPad whilst you're eating. I don't want to eat peas. So you see the problem here. <laughs> it's like, okay. So will you eat the peas if I give you your iPad? Yes. Okay, then let's do that. And it's so funny watching them negotiate. My eldest, she negotiates for everything. It's kind of, here's my list of things that I want for Christmas. And it's, that's ridiculous. That's too big a list. That's not fair. And she started to justify it. She's, look, this one could be classed as educational because technically I'll be learning this and this from it. But I, I play games with them that are, we did one just the other day that kind of encourages this. I came downstairs and they were bored obviously with this coronavirus period going on, they're sick of all the stuff in the house. Yeah. So I gave them both an A3 piece of paper uh, and we got the colors out and I said to them, you've got an hour. I want you to design me three toys each. Okay. I want you to tell me what they do. I want you to make it nice and unique. Give it whatever colors you want. And then me and your mom are going to sit here in an hour's time and you're going to pitch it to us. And the one that we like, we're going to put money, we're going to give you money so that you can go and buy whatever it is that you want to buy. But you have to be able to explain to us why we should invest in that. Why is it that toy? And I said to them, make sure that you've got the toy that is going to be interesting to children. You have to tell us who's going to buy it. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? How old are they? But also think about who's spending the money. It's mom and dad that's spending the money. So make sure it's a toy that mom and dad would also buy. And it's giving them games and challenges like that. So they'll come back and they'll negotiate. And you you ask, you say, listen, I don't think that's a good idea because if that's for a a toddler, then the small pieces with that, it's okay. What if I didn't have this small piece and we did the Nerf gun out of the mouth instead? So they're negotiating with you even during that pitch. Yeah. And I, I think it's such an important skill to learn. And sometimes people will consider it as cheeky when children do it. I don't consider it cheeky. I think it's a, as a child, when there's no pressure and there's no stress, that is the best time to be learning how to sell and how to negotiate. Oh, hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Yes. I've got a four year old and a six year old. So So (laughs) you're with me. I sympathize with you. (laughs) Um, Yes. I'm with you. (laughs) Everything. Yes. (laughs) goes on and on, but no, it's good. It's really good. Look, I've got to learn so much. I've got just three quick questions. Shoot. First one is, what is the book that you're reading right now? The book that I'm reading, in fact, it's right next to me. 
the book that I'm reading right now is it's a quote every single day. It's called Everyday Hope. Wow. It's, it's basically a book that gives you famous quotes from authors and historians and business owners and, and all kinds of wonderful people. And I just find it's a great way to start my day with reading such kind of like a powerful message yep. of hope. And, and uh, especially during this period when there's such sort of you turn on the news and you're constantly confronted with all these scary stats and things. Yeah. And we've been through hard times as, as humans before. We will be we will go through hard times again. And the fact that hope will remain and, and positivity will come out of this yes. uh, is a really important thing. So that's a book that I, I'm really, truly enjoying reading every day at the moment. Oh, that is so true. Can I know the quote? That's for today. <laughs> What's the quote for? Quote for today is, yes. none of us knows what might happen in the next minute, yet we still go forward because we trust and because we have faith. Oh, fantastic. My Love favorite it. one was, from yesterday actually and i really like this it was by c.s lewis and i really did enjoy this it is there are far better things ahead than anything we leave behind oh lovely and again like i you, love you his writing i love c.s lewis writing me too me too you look at that stuff and you read you know, stephen king for example the way he likes to end his stories but he writes these scary books and then it's there's a lot of love in the world there's a lot of beauty in the world there's good things out there open your eyes go out there and see it and i think he takes you on such a journey with his writings that I think ending on a note of positivity, ending on a, the world is never as scary as you think it is. And the fact that we quite often try and avoid thinking about the difficult times in our lives, but actually there's a lot of power in those times because you yes. think back to those really difficult times that at one point you probably thought you were never going to get out of. And now they're just a distant memory. And it shows you just quite how strong you are. And it gives you a lot of resilience to think it doesn't matter what comes and faces me. I'm going to be just fine. Yep. Very true. Podcast recommendation. Now that could be your podcast. And where do people find that? Good question. Or There's probably two that I would recommend. Yes. So definitely go and check out Billionaires in Boxers. You can find us at billionairesinboxers.com. If you also just Google Billionaires in Boxers, you'll find all of our content. It's, it's yep. everywhere. Um, you'll probably find some of our TV shows on there as well, which is pretty cool. And yeah, I definitely have a look at that. So not, not because I'm an incredible host, not because I'm spinning pearls of wisdom, nothing like that. It's just, we're really blessed that we have some incredible guests on our show and I call it Napoleon Hill meets podcasting. <laughs> I just want to learn as much as I possibly can from these really successful people and, and learn from their stories and, and standing on the shoulders of giants and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's one of them. Another one that I would recommend is actually a podcast that's only just started. It's with a, a client of ours, funnily enough, in New Zealand. It's called the Halftime Orange Podcast. Halftime Orange. Halftime Orange. And it's by a guy called Brenton Weber. He's a customer experience expert. Now, I love him because he. T we were talking about it earlier in terms of that immersive experience and, yes. and, and experience being so important. His primary focus is on that customer experience. And I love that because it's an aspect of people's businesses that I think they miss out quite a lot. And actually, how many times do you see, for example, a company that will be offering like a special discount for new customers, but they it's like they don't care about their old customers anymore. It's, no, you can pay full price. We're going to give three months free to these new guys. That's such a backwards way of doing business because you've yeah. already spent money to acquire that customer. Why would you not do everything you possibly could to make to sure that they them. turn into a customer for life? Yes, um, so and again, he has some phenomenal conversations with other industry experts and 
I just think there's there's so much there that for any founders or business owners listening to this that are, are thinking, okay, it's really important every time you win a customer, it's important for your business. So keep that in mind and do more to keep them. Yeah. So I definitely recommend going and checking that out. Yep. I Yep, that's cool. I was so tempted to right now go and check it out, but I will put all these links <laughs> underneath the description later and wherever this podcast or video goes. Finally, I say if you had unlimited time and unlimited money what and resources, what would you build or what would you work on? A school. A school. So, so cool. I, I, I hated school like a lot of entrepreneurs did, you know, I did not fit well into this education system. Yeah. I probably because I asked too many questions. It's like, why am I learning this? <laughs> what relevance does this have to my life? Yeah, um, all those questions that are helping you now. <laughs> all the questions that helped me in business really didn't help me in school. But even the whole kind of attitude of I'm respectful to people, mm-hmm. but I don't just respect everybody blindly. I respect people with what they've achieved. I respect people's accomplishments. I respect what they've done. I don't have to like you as a person to be able to respect you. But I didn't ever do well with the whole thing of you must listen and do exactly what I say because I'm your teacher. Yeah. So? <laughs> like, good. Yeah. That was your profession. That was your choice. It doesn't mean that I instantly have to agree with everything that you say. So yeah. as you can imagine, that didn't do very well in school. I got kicked out at 14, 15 years old and, and never thought I was going to have any qualifications. You know, I now have three degrees and a master's because I loved university because university yes. was the complete opposite. It was a study what you're interested in, have the and, ability to hold opposing views and see the benefits of different people's arguments. It doesn't yeah. have to just be, I think this, so anybody that doesn't is wrong. It's, yeah. No, actually, there's value in multiple sides of an argument and the truth is often somewhere in the middle. Exactly. Um, and so if I had unlimited, I, I genuinely, this is something I'd love to do in the future, but if I had unlimited time, resources and money, it would, I would start a school and I would start a school and it would literally be primary school and secondary school. So elementary school and high school. Yeah. And it would be an entrepreneurial school, designing people to start having more critical thinking, being more creative, allowing thinking along the lines of Montessori learning at a young age, yes. allowing children to learn through play, allowing them to learn through role play and experiences. And just yeah, that's what it's all about for me. And I think that gets lost in the modern education system because yeah. we're so busy trying to prepare them for these exams that if they don't pass, their whole life is ruined. And it's like, I know. I, yeah, I, I hate so standardized exams. And that's, I think they are a relic of past and over time things are, are. changing. Um, and they will change. I, I'm sure they will continue to change because we don't need to prepare a huge workforce to work in the factories anymore. No. Because everything is service-based in any developed country, in any city, 80, 85% of the jobs are service-based. They are not working because machines can do the factory work. <laughs> well, do you know what? It's like lesson for any educators listening to this. I don't know if anybody's told you, but the industrial revolution is over. You know, it's information revolution is here. A hundred percent. In fact, that reminds me, there's another book recommendation I'd like to give if I may. Yes, yes. There's a book by a guy called Daniel Priestley. I've actually met Dan a few times. He's a great guy, which was cool because I read his books before I met him. And he's actually just as cool a person in in person as he is in his books. But the first in his kind of trilogy, I think, Mm -hmm. maybe four of these books is called The Entrepreneur Revolution. 
And it's about exactly that. It's about we no longer need to move to these cities to work in big offices for 40 years for the same company. It's about <laughs> being a boutique business that can work from wherever, with whoever they want, wherever they want in the world. It's, the, it's not quite the laptop lifestyle, but it's definitely more that way inclined than it is. Go to school, do your exams, go to university, get your degree, get a graduate job work your way up and then get your pension and go and die on a beach somewhere. No, like why do we have to wait until 60, 70 years old to start enjoying our lives? That's ridiculous. Why don't we have a work-life balance that allows us to do what we want and work with the people that we want to, but also enjoy life while we're young enough to enjoy it? Yep. Very, very true. So I, that's fantastic. I will add that recommendation for that book as well in the description I already know where to find you. So it is LinkedIn and all your websites. I'll list all of those things down. The final last thing, do you have Mm -hmm. any ask as in sometimes founders or entrepreneurs or investors come, then they have, this is what they're looking for. They're looking for a team or they're looking for investment or they are looking for startups to invest in. Have you got any ask? Yeah, good question. So I guess, For me, I'm always looking for a challenge. We've worked in 50 different sectors and 50 different locations now plus. And I'm really proud of that, especially because a lot of the sectors that we've worked with were originally people that came to us and said, I love what you do, but it won't work for me because. And I love disproving that. I love being able to say, actually, provided your industry requires you to build relationships with humans, this will work really well for you. So I guess I'd say, you know, if, if... there's probably two things. If you're listening to this thinking, this sounds like a really good idea, but it won't work for me, bring me that challenge because I enjoy those challenges. But also if you're listening to this thinking, actually, I do have a product or I do have a service or, or even just you, like you deserve to be heard. You should be an influencer in your space. You should be an authority. More people should listen to what you're saying. Come to me because we are very good at providing that stage and um, spotlight for you. And if I'm honest, I enjoy that more than I enjoy doing it for myself these days. I get more of a kick from helping other people do it than I do for myself. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Phil, for your time. And I will put all the links on how you can connect with Phil in the description. So go and look for Phil um, Billionaires in Boxes. Is that right? Mm. Billionaires in boxes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.